I want us to, to end our morning, I hope, being encouraged. I was uh, reading a, a poll, a Pew poll from 2015, and it says this about uh, a fundamental question of life, really. Not just Christianity, but of life. Because it's one that unbelievers, unbelievers discuss, talk about. And the, it, it's this. Does God exist? Is there really a God who has created us? Is there really a supernatural being who is responsible for everything? And there's obviously huge debate over that. The Pew poll says that uh, even today, and running the course of about 70 years of polling, that in America, Christianity and the belief in God is still held as being true by just about 90% of Americans. Now, that's not to say that 90% of Americans seek to live that way, but 90% polled say, yes, I believe that there is a God. 65 years and up, the age group, 70% express not only that do they believe God exists, but they believe they express an absolute certainty that God exists. 65 years and older, 70% say, I am certain God is real. Move down to much younger generation, and 30 years and younger in age, the percentage that expresses an absolute certainty that God exists falls to 51%. And that has been in decline. 51% say they are certain God exists, but almost half say, no, I'm not so sure. I teach periodically an apologetics class uh, the word apologetic means to give a defense. So in effect, what it means is to defend your faith in God and give reasons for what you believe. I often open a class uh, with this question, which is real simple. Why are you here in this class? Why did you decide to come and do this? There's always a variety of answers, but one pops up every single time. And it would go along these lines. The answer would be, I'm really nervous about being asked questions about my faith in Christianity because I'm not sure what to say. A lot of people, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, and I'm not, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands, a lot of people would say, I believe, but I'm not sure why. And a lot of us, and I have for many, many years in my Christian life, lived my faith and lived by faith simply because I know that I know. And I really can't give much of a definition for what that means. I know that I know. But I have overheard conversations, and early on as a believer, engaged in conversations where if I were asked, why do you believe, people would say, and I have said, well, you just got to have faith. And that answer is still prevalent today. And while yes, I agree with that, yes, you got to have faith. You just got to believe. You got to have faith. That doesn't satisfy a lot of people, a lot of sincere seekers, a lot of people that really want to know, why do you believe what you believe? How can you express a certainty in God to a degree that it dictates the way you live your life? How do you know? And, well, you just got to have faith. It doesn't work. 
for many, many people. Over the last week, I've asked a good number of people that same question. If you're a believer in Christ, how can you know that God exists? What evidence do you have that God exists? Now, to be fair, some had some very good responses and left me feeling pretty good. There was two people who politely declined. One said, I don't like to argue. And to talk about that in that person's mind immediately meant there's going to be a conflict. And another person very politely just said, two things I don't discuss, politics and religion. So we're just leaving it right there. And I see a lot of heads nodding, yes, me too, uh-huh. But probably over a little bit of half, I would say, answered something along the lines of this. Does God exist? I don't know. I'd sure like to know. And you can't know. That's why they call it faith. And I heard that a few times. So let's see how we do here together with the question. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Now I'm going to see if some of you want to raise a hand and see if we have some responses to that question. Hey, y'all, if you are a believer in Christ, how do you know God exists? Eyewitness testimony of who? Okay. For sure. I saw a couple of hands. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's like it was designed or something, right? Okay. Are there any others? Yeah. It's hard to believe in God and in chance. To believe in God and coincidence. To believe in God and luck. Yeah. Are there any others? That's three. Are there any others? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Any others? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love, why? I am really pleased because every answer is 
not bragging, is on my own list. So that is wonderful. You can't know. That's why they call it faith, is what a person said. Here's the deal. Unbelievers, as well as a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, we equate the term faith and define it as no proof. You have no proof, you just got faith. And without proof, there's just faith. There is no evidence for what you believe. I've been told that many, many times over my life. You don't have evidence for what you believe. You just fall back on faith. The Bible is a case in point that that is not to be our point of view when engaging unbelievers, skeptics, and sincere seekers who really want to know, why do you believe God exists? And can you prove to me, can you give any evidence that God exists? You can't see God. You can't quantify God. But it's similar to what Alicia says, okay, well, what do we do with love? If I ask anybody here, give me an answer for this How many pounds does love weigh? I don't know. How far is love? How long is it? How tall is it? How short is it? What's it smell like? What's it taste like? Nobody can answer. But you're not going to find a person that says there's no such thing. But you can't quantify it. It's also one of those things, I guess you could say, that you know that you know. But there's also evidence for love. There's the fingerprints of love all over our lives. And it's the same with God. I cannot show an unbeliever God. But God's fingerprints are all over everything. He exists. Not just because I know that I know. Evidence is defined as that which tends to prove or disprove something and also grounds for belief. The available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or a proposition is true or valid. And it's hard to kind of reduce God to proof that he is valid. But that's what we, that's what we have. That's our responsibility as believers. There are times in our lives where we engage with people who want to know, does God exist? And I know we, that's where our minds go to, even as believers. As a believer, sometimes I just, man, God, are you there? Do you exist? Oh, I long to see you, to know for a certainty. Fortunately, we can go to God's word. In 1 John 1 through 4, We read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We write this to make our joy complete. John, representing the apostles, wanting to make clear there is evidence for the entire letter that he is about to write. We have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have touched with our hands. We've seen Jesus. We've heard Jesus. We've touched Jesus. He is real. And this is before the resurrection and after. And they've got a story to tell. And oh, what a story it is. We have seen, we have heard, we have touched. Listen to us. Their faith is based on evidence. That's why they believed. That's why he wrote that epistle, that letter, and more to follow. Because of the eyewitness accounts. I saw him walk on water. I saw him feed thousands with two baskets. I saw him tell a storm, quiet, and it did. And I saw him after he died. We have seen, we have touched, we have heard. That eyewitness testimony would carry tremendous weight in a modern court of law. How do you refute the apostles who died for what they saw, heard, and touched? You can't. Does God exist? Yes. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are told this about faith. The writer says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How many of us here really equate the term faith with sureness and certainty? Okay, almost a percent of us. Okay, but here's the deal. Because we are not taught or conditioned that way. Remember, we hear faith, that means lack of evidence. When the Bible speaks of faith, it talks about certainty and sureness. So maybe the way you and I view faith sometimes needs to be changed, needs to be reconsidered. Faith is the surety and certainty of what you cannot see. God is spirit. By his nature, can't see him. And yet God is so great that at the perfect time in history, he reveals himself through his son, through God the son, Jesus. And people were still skeptical. But it also gave us a grounds for faith that to this day we trust and believe. God is real. Regarding the question, what is the evidence that God exists? You guys came up with great responses. Creation and the existence of life, the biblical record, the historic life and resurrection of Jesus, objective truth, moral truth, moral laws, and transformed lives. And it's really hard to explain apart from a loving God, love, and emotion. I'm going to give attention to just the first one on the list. Why do I think God exists? Because of what God has made. And we'll start with God's word. Let's read more from Hebrews chapter 11. That first, that first verse in Hebrews, most of us are very familiar with. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then follows this verse. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I find that to be such an encouraging passage. It's like God knows people are going to be challenged by, how do you know I exist? And yeah, God would know this, prepares us, equips us, and gives us this, tells us what faith is, confidence, surety about what we cannot see, and then relates it to creation. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What made this? And it's not the material. Evolution would say, naturalistic evolution would say that matter is all that exists, and from it, under the right circumstances, over the right amount of time, there's a chance that life could spring from nothing. The other alternative is that it's something supernatural and greater than us created from nothing. Not from matter, not from what is seen, not from what was already there. God created us. And the creation has his fingerprints all over it. And God anticipating our struggles and our challenges with people questioning about this says, check this out. I am the invisible God. I made you. I made everything, and you can trust this, and there's evidence for it. So what's the evidence? It's one thing to just say that. All creation has its beginning and its existence because of the power and the will of Almighty God. Genesis 1.1, we know this one. Right at the very beginning, God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right at the start. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Romans 1.20, Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Last week while on the coast, I asked one of our high schoolers why he believed God exists. He pointed out to the ocean and he said, how can you look at the ocean and not think God? Pretty good answer. There's a huge amount of information to impart on just this one piece of evidence for the reality of God's existence. Time is short this morning, and I'm going to highlight just a couple things to consider. The universe exhibits design. Purpose oozes with the power and splendor of God. You look at this. When I look at pictures of what our telescopes can show is out there in space, out there in the galaxy. It's stunning. And it's immense. And it boggles what is out there, what it looks like. And I cannot, it takes more faith than I have in God to believe that just happened. And happened of its own accord, happened by itself. 
No, I don't have faith for that. My faith is not big enough for that. Our planets have been placed in the precise place in orbit in relation to the sun and moon so that you and I can have life. If we're any closer to the sun, life doesn't exist on this planet. If we're any further away, life doesn't exist on the planet. The crust of the earth is of such a thickness, such a precise thickness as to maintain our lives and to hold gravity and to keep us here. It's fine-tuned. It's like it's programmed. We shouldn't be alive. But for the fact that a supernatural being has created for us an environment to live in. To look into the depths of space is to be in awe of what God has made. It's incredible. It's evidence that God exists. Everything in the universe bears the touch of a creator. Oh, nicely done. Yeah. God. God's word says, in effect, look what I've made and know me. I want you to know me. The vastness of creation fits to sustain our lives and to glorify God. To glorify God simply means to praise and worship him, but it also means to give credit to him. It's to look out and see what he's made and be thankful and say, you made this and I'm glad. I'm glad for what God has made, what he has created. The universe cannot adequately be described by our words. It doesn't it just doesn't do to look at that and say, wow, that's big. Mm, that's huge. Maybe in the 60s they were close when you look at that and go, far out. <laughs> the universe is incredible. And I just feel, for me, those words just don't fit. They can't contain God and what he has made. And I don't understand, and it's hard to fathom. Sometimes people look at this and at an ocean and say, boy, I just praise random chance. I'm thankful for the roll of the dice. Wow. God's fingerprints are also in the tiny, in the microscopic and in the complex, and in the detailed. I'm not a science guy, but I'm fascinated by figures, and I like to read smart, like, yeah, I like to read about what smart people have discovered. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just trying to understand the cell and the, the breakthroughs that science has had in a, a single cell that you can't see apart from a powerful microscope, and that they opened the cell, and inside the cell is the equivalent of about, four, about a four-foot strand of DNA inside a cell. How do you fit four feet of something inside a cell? And then to read that our bodies are construed of 30 trillion cells. And 30 trillion cells times about four feet of DNA strands that details and equips and makes up who we are, if you were to spread that out end to end, 
it goes to the sun and back several times. Our bodies are incredibly complex. I look at that, and I think of this tiny thing, and I'm not sure which almost bothers me more that this can be. 30 trillion cells in our body. So consider this one last point. There's a noted Swiss mathematician. His name is uh, Lecomte Dunoy. And he said that any number in which the probabilities were greater than 10 to the 50th power, any number of chance, could simply never happen, even on a cosmic scale. So I wonder, why did he choose that number? I read a little further, and he, he posited this. If we counted what there is the most of in all of the universe, which is electrons, the most of anything in all the universe is electrons. And if we were to count them all up, the number comes to 10 to the 50th power. I don't know what that number is called or if it necessarily has a number, but it's a lot. 10 to the 50th power. Every electron on every planet, on every sun, in every galaxy. And once you hit that number, the probability of chance, he says, concludes that it cannot happen. It's impossible. Okay? 10 to the 50th power. Go to uh, another scientist. His name is Fred Hoyle. He was once one of the world's leading astronomers and scientists. He's a prof- he was a professor at Cambridge University. He's no longer with us. He was a staunch evolutionist for most of his career. He wanted to test the laws of probability. And he worked with another man, a world-famous mathematician named Chandra Rick Singh. They sought to calculate the probability of just one cell coming into existence by random chance. This is not a believer. This is a staunch evolutionist. Everything happened by itself. And he wants to know the odds of that because there's got to be a chance. It's got to be provable. And it's, I think, the, the, the best part of science where you, you test, you search, you seek, you study to come up with a conclusion and you just go where the facts take you, where the evidence leads. So remember, unbelieving astrologists, unbelieving scientists wants to know the odds of just one cell creating itself. So applying the science of mathematical probability, Sir Hoyle discovered the chance of a single cell coming into existence, and he factored this in. He gave an immense time span for it to happen, 15 billion years. One cell over 15, billions of year, 15 billion years coming into existence by itself. What are the odds? Because in his mind, you know it happened. That's why we're here. The odds of that happening, he discovered, was 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now, a brilliant mathematician says 1 in 10 to the 50th power means it's impossible. It cannot happen. Staunch evolutionist Sir Fred Hoyle puts that to the test 
one cell of the 30 trillion that are in our body and consider how many bodies have been in existence. One cell of the 30 trillion in our bodies. What are the odds of just one over 15 billion years of time coming into existence? And the conclusion is, it can't happen. An honest evolutionist, Sir Fred Hoyle, abandons evolutionary theory, but rejects God. From what I've read, some biographies on him, he wouldn't even consider the possibility that God exists. But he sure struggled with the concept that life did not create itself. So he sought other explanations, and one of his, one of, in, in fact, this is the guy, Sir Fred Hoyle, is the one that coined the term the Big Bang. And he did it in derision, saying it's silly to believe such a thing. He went to his deathbed, as far as I have been able to find, believing that there was life somewhere in another universe And through gravity and cosmic winds or flow, that life landed on earth, and earth had just the conditions for it to become us. But they still struggled with the concept and the question, where did life come from way out there? How do you equate that? Which he couldn't do. But sad, sad that he won't even consider God as a possibility. When someone asks us, do you believe God exists? You're a Christian. Why do you believe God exists? I know that a lot of us, and I do sometimes too, still to this day, I have a tendency to think I have these, this list of answers, but it sounds so quaint to say these things to people. They are so staunch in their unbelief that sometimes it's hard to stand against. And I find myself at times just feeling kind of silly. But mostly, mostly, to be able to say to a person, yeah, I believe God exists, and here's why, and I've got a list of reasons. And sometimes I just have one or two that I keep kind of tucked in my pocket that I'm ready with. Something that is fairly simple like this. The, earth is, the universe is too complex and too big. And our cells are too complex. Even science says, look, we had no idea that our cells were so complex. And more and more scientists, you never hear this in the classroom. You don't see it on the news. But more and more scientists, as they discover more and more about the complexities and details of our bodies, are coming to the conclusion, we are designed, we are made. There is purpose to how the universe is set up, how our earth sustains life, and how you and I exist There's purpose. And and I want you to be encouraged by this. Although many in science start and end with the premise, there is no God. So they will always be looking for other reasons to explain why we're here. But be encouraged, because you won't read about this or hear about this. But there are many, many in science who, upon the discoveries that they make, are turning to God are acknowledging a creator, are acknowledging the purpose 
and design in which we are made. The evidence, the fingerprints of God is turning people to Christ. We just can't know. We're going to tell you a quote of a, a Christian scientist who was in China listening to a lecture from a Chinese scientist who was refuting Darwinism. Now, in China, evolution kind of holds sway. It's, it's a very anti-religious place. And this American scientist raised his hand and said, I'm really surprised to hear you speaking against, against Darwinism here. I mean, don't you know where you're at? And the man responded to him. He said, look, here in China, I can challenge Darwinism. I can't challenge the government. In America, you can challenge your government. You can't challenge Darwinism. And there's a lot of truth to that. We have to rethink what we've been taught. Because Darwinism and evolution rules in our country. But it doesn't hold up. Does God exist? Yeah. Just go outside and look. Let me give you a, a physical thing you can do besides going out and looking. Take a hand. Pick your hand. Left hand, right hand, I don't care. Put that over your heart. Put that over your heart where you can feel your heart beat. Feel that. There's a term called progressive evolution. And what it means is that we evolve, life evolves progressively. Certain things happen within our bodies over time. And it takes immense amounts of time. Okay, how does a heart, how does this beating of your heart? You and I know this. If our heart stops, we're done. That's it. You want to prove for your life? Do this. Yeah, okay, I'm checked, I'm good. Progressive evolution would say that our hearts began to evolve over time. Thank you for getting that. Our hearts had to have been created like that. That's how life was created. Our hearts don't evolve. Eyesight doesn't evolve. That's common sense. And it's things we don't think of very often. And I'm not accusing because I don't either. i got to read it in a book from a smart guy to read it, to understand it, to know it. We were made like that. And there's evidence for it. Last passage, Psalm 139. David writes this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I love this ending that David writes. I know that full well. Sureness and certainty of what he cannot see. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he glorifies God, acknowledges God, gives God the credit for being fearfully and wonderfully made. And he is glad. Does God exist? Yes. Go outside and open your eyes. Open your mind and believe
you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Be encouraged this morning. Thank you.